And so as Kathy read that prophecy of Joel based on what happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2, uh, it's just incredible because I was reading Acts 1.8. Who could just shout out, what does Acts 1.8 say? Go for it. Right. So, um, God tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. Jesus tells them to wait. And they ask him. Uh, well, and then the, the scripture that, that I'm thinking of is, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses to the outermost parts of the earth. And as I was reading it, I felt the Holy Spirit interrupt me and say, why does it say but? Because I've quoted it my whole life that I can remember. But you will receive power. Why does it say but? And I looked back, because normally when it says but, you need to find out what it said before to know why it says but. And I looked back, and and what the, after Jesus said that they needed to wait in Jerusalem, the disciples asked him, are you going to restore the kingdom of Jerusalem now, at this time? And this is what Jesus says. He says, it's not for you to know the times that the Father has set, but you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the outermost parts of the world. And so what he was saying is you may not know what the plan of God is and your earthly mindset of restoring a kingdom might look like something that's maybe not God's plan, but you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And it's this idea that God is saying we get to fulfill the restoration not only of Jerusalem but of the kingdom as co-heirs of Christ together when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and we are sent out. And so that's kind of my intro. It wasn't my planned intro, but there you go. Um, now, the topic of my, my preach tonight is four doors of faith. And I just felt God speak to me around four instances where doors are connected with faith in Scripture. Um, we've been talking a lot about faith over the last few months since the beginning, even towards the end of last year. We've been saying that for Glenridge, we're on faith adventures and ventures God's doing in us. Uh, we've been going through the heroes of our faith. We've been looking at the definitions of faith. We've been looking at the instances of faith. And I just felt God say that with these four doors, he's going to be speaking to two distinct groups of people possibly three but the two distinct groups will be connected to the first two doors and then the other will be connected to the last two and so just to quickly let you know what they are the first door is John 10 and it just is Jesus talking um, to his to people and he says I am the door anyone who comes through me will be saved the second door is from John 2020. 
Uh, and a bit of context, John 2020 happens to be a scripture that Taryn and I really hold dear because we were just connecting around what is our vision for 2020, and we were led to John 2020, and uh, the part that God spoke to us in our vision for our lives and for what, what we're doing is really just around the centrality of the gospel in our lives, because uh, what comes out of that scripture is that God really just commissions, commissions us. But the part about the door is where Jesus has been killed, he's re been resurrected, but he hasn't yet appeared, and the disciples are afraid, and they are behind a locked door. And so that's what the second door is. It could be the locked door of faith, right? The third one is from Revelation chapter 3, and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who lets me in, I'll come and eat with them, and he with me. And then the fourth door is from Acts chapter 14. And Peter, the same Peter who preached at the day of Pentecost, the same Peter that, was, that had been restored by Jesus after denying him, uh, after that power had come, they went on mission. Uh, they were commissioned by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, at the church of Antioch, they were confirmed by the grace of God to go. And this particular scripture is when they come back and they share. And uh, they talk about what God's done through them. And then they talk about the fact that he has opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So those are the four doors. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into them and connect them to this idea of righteousness and of, of faith. How many, by a show of hands, because we've been talking about faith, right? How many, by a show of hands, live by faith? Great. Fantastic. I'm so glad I see many hands. Um, maybe keep your hands up. How many by show of hands always live by faith? Okay, I've got some confused faces and some people want to keep it up and that's great and I understand why. How many by, by faith sometimes live by faith? Okay, some more hands. I'm reminded um, about a conversation I had with a good friend of mine, uh, growing up in Joburg and he said to me well if you're not living by faith what are you living by if you're not living by faith what are you living by see without faith it's impossible to please God and I'm reminded of the scripture in Habakkuk uh, 4 verse 2, 2 verse 4, Habakkuk 2 verse 4. It's a prophecy and he says, the righteous one will live by faith. And I was intrigued by this idea and I started to look into it a little more because I don't know about you, but 
the righteous one will live by faith. Many of us have just said we don't live by faith all the time. What does that mean? And so there are three instances in the New Testament that refer. There may be more, but I'm focusing on three that refer to this scripture from Habakkuk. And uh, the first one would be Galatians 3. Now, I said to Taryn, I am really keen to read the whole jolly chapter because it is incredible. So, by way of hands, if you think that I should read the whole script, the whole chapter, raise one hand. If you think that I should just take selected verses, raise two hands. Okay, so if you think the whole scripture, one hand. All right, Taryn has two. She's already given her vote. All right, I have see a few double hands. Did anyone do a little count? Okay, I'm going to spare you. But boy, it's an incredible, incredible chapter. And really it just starts, it says, you foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like, you to, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard. And it goes on to say, you foolish. And it says some lovely things and I'm skipping. Verse 6. So also Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. How cool is that? All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. And there's our scripture. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is anyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been talking about and singing about. It's, it's been fulfilled. We'll skip through a few verses. But the interesting thing here is it talks about Abraham and faith by grace predates the law by 430 years. It was only 430 years later that the law was provided. And this scripture goes on to say, but then why, why was the law introduced? And it describes that it was because of the transgression, there was like a holding pattern until the promise that had been given to Abraham could be fulfilled. And it also goes to say that the promise was not to Abraham's seeds, or, or many offspring, it was to one seed, 
and that seed is Christ. And then it says in verse 26, actually verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we get a sense that this idea that the righteous will live by faith takes on a stance of grace. And commentators have said that a a better way, perhaps, of stating and saying the righteous will live by faith is this. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. So instead of the righteous will live by faith, the one who by faith is righteous will live. Doesn't it just take a whole different picture? And this is where the first and second doors come in. So let's go to John 10.10. Feel free to turn there or swipe there or click there. We will have it up. Thank you, Sue. We'll start at verse 9. I don't know if we have verse 9, but that's fine. I am the door. This is Jesus talking. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then in John 20, 20, and you can turn there, this is where the good shepherd has already laid down his life and he actually overcomes the power of, of death and he's resurrected to life. And he appears before his disciples. We'll start at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So just imagine for a second. The doors locked. We're all gathered. And he just rocks up. Ha. Peace be with you. And the implication here is that he wasn't bound or held back by the locked door, even physically. Uh, There are other instances of Scripture where the same thing happened, even with disciples. And um, the next part, I'm going to continue reading in the Passion Translation. Translation. So from verse 21, it says, Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them, 
Just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Then, taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins, and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. And this is the scripture that we felt burning in us, Taryn and I. That everything we're doing, whether it's church-related or business-related or socially or whatever areas we're expressing the kingdom of God in our, in our lives, it's, it's around this idea that if we proclaim the forgiveness of sins to people, they can accept it. If we don't, they can't. And so where these doors come together, I don't know where you might be at tonight. You might not know that you are forgiven. You might not know that it's available, that the door has been made open to you. You might not know that the good shepherd welcomes people in, that Jesus has paid that price. There may be people here tonight that know they need forgiveness. You know you need forgiveness of sins. I'm here to tell you that your sins are forgiven. Psalm 103 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 8 verse 12 says, For I'll forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. In Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. They are removed as far as the east is from the west, and they are remembered no more. And if you've never known that, tonight you do, that in Jesus there is salvation. The righteous will live by faith. The second instance of the righteous will live by faith is Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The last one where it is mentioned is Hebrews 10. And we'll read from verse 36. The context here is he's encouraging them because they've come through trials and difficulties and struggles. He's encouraging them that there's a seriousness to this life of faith. He's encouraging them that it's those that persevere and push through that inherit the fullness, that inherit the kingdom of God. So in verse 36, he says, You need to persevere 
so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And friends, I want you to make very sure and understand very clearly that there are significant consequences for rejecting the faith that comes, the grace that comes by faith, the gift of salvation, the gift of restoration. Make no mistake that there is a seriousness to understanding the grace that has been given and walking it out as the fruitfulness of faith. And we've established that it is not earning righteousness by trying to act faithful. No, we have earned our righteousness by receiving it by grace through faith. And the fruit of that, you see, there was an intimacy that the, that the disciples had with Jesus. He breathed on them. Do you know you've got to be close to someone for them to breathe on you? Okay? And he breathed on them, and that power, it wasn't their own strength. And so this is where door three and four come. The first one is Revelation 3. And it's a letter to the churches, and this particular one is the church in Laodicea. We'll start in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. To be earnest, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I've heard this scripture preached many times as a scripture of salvation to non-believers. And while it might, it might apply in that context because it's still the truth that God is knocking on everybody's door. And if they let him in, he comes in. That is the truth. The truth is that this application of the scripture was written to the church it's not saying I'm at the door of your heart and, and you haven't come in yet this is being written to you and me that know Jesus this is being written to Glenridge Church in terms of the context and so he's by implication and the pre prior scriptures talk about the love of, of wealth and it talks about a self-sufficiency. And, and he actually says, uh, you know, you, you're neither hot nor cold. Um, I wish you would just choose to be hot or choose to be cold because I don't like lukewarm. I don't like the comfort zone of I'm okay and I'm doing nothing for God. And that's Jesus talking. In fact, when I was young, younger, teenager, 16 maybe, just radically passionate for God. I'd just been filled with the Spirit. 
Uh, actually, my friend and I, we made t-shirts, white t-shirts. I should have brought it because I found it. I'm a hoarder. I keep stuff that's sentimental. Uh, I'm learning to overcome my sin, as my wife would say. But I, I had a t-shirt and I wrote this scripture on it. For I'm about to spit you out. And it, one of the translations is vomit. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth because, ah, lukewarm, I can't stand it. That's Jesus talking. He's talking to his church. Be, be hot or cold. Don't be middle of the road. You know me. You've been regenerated. You've been made alive. You've, you've had me as a first love, but somehow I'm outside this door of your heart, and I don't want to be outside. Jesus says, I'm knocking. I'm not going to force it open. I believe Christian mentioned the doors that need to be broken open, but it's not by force. Maybe that's a door tonight. It's a door that only you can open. But he's there, faithful. It's done. It's purchased. The fourth door, Acts 14. Like I said, Peter and the, the apostles have gone out. They've scattered. They've decided this power, we need to be a witness. And uh, what does that mean? Let's go. And uh, in, you know, they had heard Jesus say in John 20, 20, the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Go. Go be. Go ex express my forgiveness. <clears throat> Verse 26. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Isn't that cool? There's work that was committed by the grace of God and it had been completed now. Isn't it nice to say, God, I did what you, by your grace, you committed us to and we've done it. So rad. Verse 27, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So our fourth door, and a little bit of poetic license. I wonder if God's not implying that we are that door of faith that allows a person to come to the John 10 door of salvation. Where, and that's where, where faith without action is dead. Because if I've heard the call of God that I get to preach forgiveness and share this love of Him, and if I've heard the call of God that I will receive power and he's empowered me and he says, go, be my witnesses to the outermost parts of the world, to ongoing generations. If I've heard that and I do nothing, how will the faith get to those people? God in his divine wisdom has chosen to partner with the church and co-create and, and co-build and restore this beautiful kingdom. And so there are people waiting. This is a Christian quote. There are people waiting on the other end of our faith. And so let's allow our faith to commission us. Let's allow our faith to not just be a wonderful thing to share with us and with one another. Let's get out there. And it's not difficult. It's not difficult. It's, it's literally knowing and understanding that, man, I, 
the righteous will live by faith. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. Man, what a message. It's understanding that there's life way beyond this temporal earth. It's understanding that there's a reality of eternity which is far more significant and far more uh, important than what we're facing now. Let's not get to the end of our lives and think, man, I had all this faith and just never shared it. Friends, this is a season of faith for us. It's a season of forgiveness. It's freely given. Many, many, many souls are going to come to the knowledge of Jesus. It's building. He's doing it. You know, you know what the best part of that Acts 14 piece is? On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them. They didn't report what they did. Of course, they played their part, but half of the job is just rocking up. Just putting one step in, just being available. Saying, God, are there any doors you want to open? Doors of hearts. Doors to Gentiles. Doors to nations. Doors to... And God just does it. So, my friends, I just want to empower you. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. Maybe you need the forgiveness of Jesus and you've never opened the door to the... You've never, you've never come through the door, the door to eternity, the door to everlasting life, the door to absolute purposefulness and fulfillment. Jesus is that door. He is that door of faith. He is that fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. Maybe you have known Jesus, but the door to your heart and to the deepest parts of who you are is shut, shutting him out. And he's wanting to come in again. He's wanting full access again. And you know the wonderful thing is he's not doing it with a grimace on his face. He's doing it with a very warm smile. He is not doing it out of fear. He's not trying to... There's nothing that, can, that you can do that can rob the eternal gift that he's given you. It's, this is not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of living... F- faith-filled lives, the righteous shall live by faith. Glenridge, will we let Jesus in through the doors again? Will we live simply from the position of intimate feasting with him in the the identity as co-heirs, sons and daughters, so secure? Will we do only what we see Jesus doing? Will we say only what we hear him saying for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power unto salvation for all who believe in Jesus name Lord we just pray that your Holy Spirit that promised gift that was given to Abraham thousands of years ago that was fulfilled in Jesus 
and the outworking of that when Jesus said it's better for me to go because I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you he's going to come Holy Spirit will you come and burn like a fire will you come and blow like a rushing wind will you come and cause rivers of living water to flow will you come and baptize people in your life Will you come, God, and commission and empower to live out our faith in all of our lives? Thank you, God. Thank you, God.